I can't imagine what the disciples must have been feeling. Uh, Their master, their king of kings, their lord of lords had been with them since the last three, three and a half years. And this was a different night. He got up from the table and he took off his outer garment, which was probably shocking to them. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He grabbed a basin and a jar and he washed their feet. And you remember what, what happened. Uh, Peter's like, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you don't have any part of me. And if you remember from John chapter 13, because this is still in the same context, Jesus washed Judas's feet. You know, it's one thing to wash his other disciples, but he washed Judas's feet, and Jesus knew all things. Jesus knew that when he had chosen this man, this man was going to betray him. So three and a half years earlier, when Jesus chose him, he knew that this man was going to betray him, but he washed his feet. And then you remember that Jesus, even in a level of grace, had Judas sitting right there beside him, and he gave Judas the first morsel even in a show of friendship, even to the end, Jesus is showing, I love you. Then he doesn't shame Judas in front of all the apostles. He says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly, leave. And then you remember after Judas left, there was this family gathering. Jesus has now got his disciples there his faithful ones, and he is now going to be speaking to them, and he's going to be sharing his last will and testament. He is preparing his disciples for his leaving. He's preparing them for the future. He's preparing his own. So Jesus, you remember, at the end of chapter 13, said to them that I've modeled for you love, now I am mandating love, you are called to love one another. And that must have been so overwhelming to them, but if you remember, he had said that I'm going to manifest love for others through you if you allow me to. In John chapter 14, where there are no chapter divisions, this is all the same conversation, Pastor Doug was preaching on this last week, we saw that Jesus says that I don't want you to be troubled. Believe in me. Believe also in God. And you remember that there's a a place I'm taking you. There's my father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Pastor Doug talked about he's preparing us to go there. Amazing. And you need to think about the fact that the God, the sovereign one, your son, the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has humbled himself to the deepest level of humiliation and now almost to the lowest level of humiliation to a cross and to death is going to become the victorious one. He is going to be in heaven. I'm going to go and prepare a place. But the disciples only heard that he was leaving. Have you ever felt alone? <laughs> Have you ever felt abandoned? Maybe it was a spouse that passed away. And maybe it happened shockingly and you weren't expecting it. And now you're alone. 
Maybe it was a spouse that left you, chose to reject you. Maybe it was a friend. I don't know what it was, but I know that if I gave this microphone to everyone in this room, everyone in this room has at one time in their lives felt alone. And I'm hoping today that what you'll hear is that you are never alone. What Jesus wanted to say is this, I'm leaving you, but my leaving you is going to be for your good. They couldn't imagine it. In fact, if, if, if we were to ask each, each of us um, today, if I were to ask you, if you had Jesus here, would you rather have Jesus here physically or would you rather have the Holy Spirit? The vast majority of us, I know, I've heard people say it. I want Jesus so I could see him and touch him. But Jesus encased himself in a human body, so he's at that one place. And he says, I want to go right now, and I want to send my spirit so that he could be living in you. That my spirit will be in you and go with you wherever you go. Wonderful, wonderful word of, what a wonderful word of comfort and healing that must be. So as we come to John chapter 14, 15 through 31, what I want you to hear today is this. You are Never alone if you're in Christ. Jesus began this section by saying this. Hear his word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you, and he will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world will not see me any longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. Would you pray with me? So this morning, Lord, help us to be in that upper room. Help us to hear your son. Help us to marvel at his last words, his last will and testament to us, Lord. He bequeathed to us your word. He bequeathed to us your spirit. He bequeathed to us peace. So, Lord, I pray for us as we go through the difficult times of our lives that we will hear that we are never alone. Help us to hear that you've given us amazing promises, promise after promise after promise to bless us. So fill us with your spirit today. Help us to bring glory and honor to your name today. Help us to reflect you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you remember as Pastor Doug Prock talked about last week, he, Jesus had said just prior to this, he said that we're going to do greater works than Christ. And how in the world is that possible? And you remember Pastor Doug said that it is probably not in the quality I've never risen somebody from the dead. I've never healed a blind person. I mean, I haven't done those type of things. And probably you have not either. So the reality is, is that it has to be something different. That greater works, in all likelihood, is that we have the benefit of proclaiming the gospel message to a lost and dark world. 
that Jesus Christ was there in that land at that time, but now the gospel, 2,000 years later, has gone out to almost every tribe and almost every tongue. You can see the map as that gospel message is spreading across the world. God is doing greater works in you and through you. But how does God do that? I believe that what we're going to see this morning is that greater works that Jesus will do and the fact that you're never alone comes down to four things I want you to see in this passage. One, that you need to be led by the Spirit. Two, you need to be united with Christ. Three, you need to be guided by his word. And then four, you need to be established in peace. Led by the Spirit, united to Christ, guided by his word, established in peace. But before we get to the spirit portion, he starts with chapter, uh, verse 15, and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What in the world is he talking about there? Jesus seems to be connecting to the prior section. He's saying that there is an uncompromising connection between your love for me and the fruitfulness in your life. That there should be not just the faith but there should be a work that comes out of your life because of the faith that lives. D.A. Carson puts it this way, that there are two links that tie this verse to what proceeds. The prospect of doing greater things anticipates a need for enabling power, the manifestation of God himself by his spirit. See, if we're going to go and preach the gospel to the world, I need to be enabled to do that. I need to be empowered. So the first thing that has to happen is if the world is going to hear the gospel, it needs to hear the gospel through the spirit living in you and then it's breathing life through you. But then there's a second element. There's an obedience theme. Obedience is so important if the gospel message is going to be heard. Can you imagine if you were to go out into the world and you were living a life of the world? A living a life of a hypocrite. Living a life that is ungodly. Living a life that is unchristlike. And then you go out into the world and you want to proclaim the gospel. And what are they going to say? I don't want that gospel. I don't want that message. I see the way your life is. I see the way you treat your wife. I see the way you treat your husband. I see the way you treat your father or your mom. If that's what the gospel does, I don't want it. So if we're going to do greater works than Christ, if we're going to be able to proclaim the gospel out into the world, it should start with a transformed heart and life. And that's why Jesus says, if you truly love me, you'll be keeping my commandments. Keeping my commandments not to earn your salvation, but to prove the salvation that the resurrection Christ lives in you and the resurrection Christ lives through you. Amazing. So the acid test is my obedience to Christ. He says, if you love me, and I just got some questions as I need to wrestle with. He says, if you love me, is that a duty or is that the desire? Does the duty of doing right produce the desire of loving Christ? Or is it the opposite? Is it the desire, the desire, produce the duty? And I think that's what it is. If you remember, James said something similar. You remember James says, you say you have faith without deeds. I'll show you my authentic faith by what I do. So what James was saying is this. He wasn't saying that any of us are saved by our works. We're not. 
God forbid, because Christ would have died in vain if that's the case. But what he is saying is that real transformation in our hearts, real acid test is this. If you are indwelled by Christ, you should be living like Christ. And it should not be a duty primarily. It should be a desire of my heart just to love him and to obey him. So then it gets me to ask the next question. What does it mean to love Christ? You know, to adore him, to desire him, to have an affection for him. You know, that desire should be surpassed by nothing. There should be nothing in this world that I desire, that I love, that I adore, that I am satisfied with more than Christ. And what Christ was saying is that as you're coming to this, as I'm coming to my end of my time here with you, I want to know, do you really love me? Then I had to ask myself the question, because he started with, if you love me, is this conditional or is this definitive? Is he saying, if you love me conditionally, so James, if you don't have a list of good works that proves that you don't love me, or is it definitive in saying, James, you have works in your life and that proves out your faith? I think it's the opposite. I think it's the second one. See, I don't think it's conditional, uncertain, unconfirmed, unqualified. I believe it is definitive. It is conclusive. It is final that if you are in Christ, Christ lives in you, and the power to transform this world is there within your grasp today. What would life be like if you lived your life with that kind of confidence? What would life, what would your marriage be like? What would your home be like? What would your neighborhood be like? What would this church be like if we lived with the confidence that the risen Christ lives in us? The resurrection power of Christ lives in you. And not only that, what amazes me about this passage is this. He's not just going to say that he lives in you. He says that his father lives in you and his spirit lives in you. The triune God lives in a believer. And we feel like we're alone. John also wrote a couple of other epistles. He wrote the gospel and he wrote First uh, John, Second John, and Third John. In First John, he said this. He talked about assurance. It's a big book on assurance. And he said this. By this, we know that we are children of God when we love and obey his commandments. He's basically saying that there's a faithfulness that will be in your heart and your life. But that faithfulness, next verse, will lead to fruitfulness. For in this is love, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, it breaks my heart sometimes to hear believers who say that they have no passion for the word of God. It breaks my heart to hear Christians who'll say, you know, that Christian music, I don't want to hear anything of it. There's something that seems to be amiss if I don't have a desire to deal with sin in my life, be in his word, and hear his praises. There's something off, off target. And what Paul would say is this, we need to examine ourselves, test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. It's an acid test that if there is a desire for God and then it produces a duty in our lives, it's an acid test of whether you're alive. 
Just like if I went down to each one of you and checked your pulse, I could see that you're alive. It's, an, it's a proof that you're alive. A proof of life for a believer is that there should be some transformation. So if the acid test for my love of Christ is my obedience, and through that loving obedience, I will do and I will participate with other believers in all the centuries in doing greater works than Christ by proclaiming the gospel to all the world, how do I do that? How in the world am I going to actually do this? Because if it's simply by my obedience, I fouled up 500 times already this morning. If, if it's just by my simple obedience, if it's that case, I can't do it. I can't. And the disciples on top of that probably heard this. Not only does that seem crushing because I can't do it, on top of that, it seemed crushing because, Jesus, you're leaving me. And Jesus said to them, I want you to know in the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your troubles and your trials, he is going to give them promise after promise after promise to reflect them upward to him, to his father. He's going to say that you are never, ever alone. You will do greater works than me, and you will never be alone because you are going to be led by my spirit led by my spirit. You'll see this here in verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. What in the world is he talking about there? Another helper. The word helper, now your version may use the word counselor, um, comforter. Um, Some versions may use the word advocate. None of them are great. Um, They come from this Greek word paraclete. And what it paracletos, and what it basically means is one who comes alongside. Now, in some extra biblical writings, it was an attorney who would argue in your defense. Some people would hear the word counselor, somebody who would comfort you. And others would hear helper. The problem with each one of those words is it doesn't make the whole difference here. There's clearly a legal element where Jesus, uh, where the Holy Spirit comes into your life and reminds you that if you're in Christ, you are justified. You're declared not guilty. He is telling you that you are legally right. He's advocating for you. That's true. There's a point where he is a counselor, but when we think of counselor today, you think of somebody like me, a comforter, right? But he's more than just a comforter. He's more than a just director. He is the one that knows you. He is the change agent. So counselor alone doesn't do it. Helper almost sounds like he's subordinate to me. That he's like my submissive. But he's not. He's the eternal God who lives in you. So that's what my version uses the word helper. Your version may use something different. But let's go back to the word another. Because this another is another interesting word. In Greek, there are two different words that can be used for another. One is hetero. And that is where we talk about it is one of a different kind. But that's not the word that Jesus uses here. He doesn't say that I'm going to give you one of a different kind. He uses the word alos which means one of the same kind. 
So when Jesus says that I'm leaving you, I'm not leaving you with somebody who's less than me. I'm leaving you with you somebody that is equal with me. The Holy Spirit lives in you and he's co-equal with God, co-equal with Jesus in every way. I wish I had time to talk to you about all the passages in the Old Testament that speak of the works of the Spirit. But oftentimes what we'll find in Scripture, the Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Testament. He is the inspirer of Scripture. He is the one that brings life. He is the one that brings change. But he would come upon a person in the Old Testament. But something dramatic changed at Pentecost. He didn't just come to be with you, he came to live within you. Amazing. This Holy Spirit is this amazing helper. There are some churches today that teach that some believers have the Holy Spirit and others don't. The Bible seems to negate that clearly. The Holy Spirit is a gift to all believers. It's not something that you do to earn it. It's not something that you'll do to, um, to uh, gain him. He has been given to you as a gift. He indwells every believer from the moment of their conversion. He is the one that brings life and he is the one that lives in you. There's not a believer in this room, a true believer in this room that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. That should be life to you. That should be amazing life to you. If you remember at the time of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon these, these Christians and then he just went out and he started saving people, person after person after person and transformation alongside. The Holy Spirit has been called not only a helper, but he's also been called an encourager, a strengthener, an empowerer, a convictor, one who exhorts you, who reproves you, who intercedes for you. Even right now, he's interceding for you. All the help that we will ever need on this side of heaven will be given to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You are not alone. I know some people talk about the Holy Spirit as though he is a it, right? They talk about the Father, that's a he, right? Jesus was a he, but the Holy Spirit is almost like an it, right? This impersonal force, but the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear that he is a real person. He says, just in verse 17, he says, no one could see him or know him, personality. Some verses I want you to consider, you, you can look them up down the road. He has a mind, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 11. He has feelings. Ephesians 4, 30 said that he could be grieved. And it doesn't get grieved. He has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. We just, we'll see in a couple of moments that he actually teaches. And it doesn't teach. He teaches. John 14, 26 he commands. We see that in Acts 8.24. He is to be obeyed. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? Remember those, guys, those man and woman from Acts? And it said that they lied to who? The Holy Spirit. And they were dead. He is called to be obeyed. 
He can be blasphemed. You remember Jesus said that you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an impersonal force. He is a he. He is a person. He lives with you. One other thing that jumps out at me in this verse is that he will be with me forever. Did you see it? He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? For a moment? (laughs) For a second? No, he said forever. He is my permanent resident. He is here. He has been here from my conversion. He has been here through my ups and downs of of my Christian life. He has never left me. I may grieve him. I may at times not be filled by him, but I am always possessing the Holy Spirit. Amazing to me. I can't do anything to get him to go because I am his own. Past, present, future, he dwells with me forever. Verse 17 continues, and it says, even the spirit of truth. He's not just a God who is there. What he is doing is he's teaching you truth. And the world can't have it. The world doesn't see him or know him. But guess what? You know him. For he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I think Jesus is hitting the promise that right now the Holy Spirit is dwelling with you, but after my resurrection and after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is going to be dwelling in you. So the first thing I need you to know is this. You will do greater works than Jesus, and you will never be alone because you are going to be led by the Spirit. The second thing I want you to hear. Not only are you led by the Spirit, but you are united to Christ. Verse 18. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Literally, he means, I will not leave you fatherless. I will come to you. Now, um, the commentators are kind of all over the map on this one. What does he mean by, I will come to you? Does he mean that I'm going to come to you at my resurrection from the dead? That I was dead in the grave and now I've been brought back to life? Probably. Another possibility is this. I will come to you by my Holy Spirit who I've just told you about at Pentecost. Probably. Or could it mean the second coming? That when Jesus Christ comes back in his fullness, we'll all be brought home to him? Probably. I just said probably to all of them. So which is it, James? Probably all of them. (laughs) You're united with Christ and he will not leave his offerings because he's going to come. He was resurrected from the dead. Resurrection power lives in you today. He will not leave you because his Holy Spirit came upon the Christian church at Pentecost and hasn't left. And we are going to glory in heaven. And we're all going to meet him again today in that future time. So there is this... I am not leaving you. Past, present, or future, I am with you. I won't leave you. So what does it mean? Because he says, yet, verse 19, yet in a little while you will see me no more, but you will see me. I think that's the death. But because I live, you will also live. And then he says in verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. You hear that connection? That 
I am connected to the Father, Jesus says, and you are connected to me, and I am living in you, and now you're connected to the Father, and now we're giving you the Spirit. Amazing. I just, I mean, it just blows my mind. Verse 21 says this, whoever's my commandments and keeps them, he who it is that loves me. Jesus, you're going back to that commandment thing. Yes, I am. Because I want you to know that an acid test of your life and love for me is that you are living like me by my power and by my grace. So what does it mean that you're united to Christ? Can I read this quote from John Murray? He said this, union with Christ has at its source in the electing work of God before the foundation of the world and has its fruit in the glorification of his sons. From the perspective of God's people, it's narrow, it is broad, and it is long. It is confined to space and time. It has an expanse of eternity. Its orbit has two foci. One, of God's work in your life from all of eternity, and two, the glorification of Christ and the manifestation of glory through you. Whoa. The former, his work, has no beginning. The latter, his manifestation of grace through you, has no end. I love that. That what God has done for us is that he has connected us in Christ. You are in Christ. Before this world was ever created, God chose you, Ephesians said, to be in Christ. During Christ's earthly work, he was our representative. He was counting his life, that God counted his life as though what he did, we did. When Jesus obeyed perfectly, we obeyed perfectly. When Jesus honored God, we obeyed God and honored God. And when Jesus returned to heaven to live in glory, we are going to be in glory together with him. And today, as you live in this life, I want you to consider this. Scripture tells us that we died with Christ. Now you're alive with him. Scripture tells us that you have new life in Christ. Scripture tells us that every action that you do can only be done in the power of Christ. Scripture tells us that this body of believers, this believing community, is because Christ is bringing us together. We're in Christ. Christ is in us. We are like Christ. The Father is connected to us, and the Holy Spirit does all of that connecting work. Think about the personal fellowship with Christ that you have today. Think about the union with Christ today. We will do greater works than Jesus, and we will never be alone because we are led by the Spirit. We will never be alone because we are united to Christ. We will never be alone because we are guided by his word. Look in verse 25. It says this, These things I've spoken to you while I'm here, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. What were the two things that Jesus did primarily for his disciples? Outside of the cross, what were the two things that he did? He taught them and he counseled them. He taught them truths. You remember, he opened the Old Testament to them. They couldn't understand the Old Testament. He opened it to them. He taught them truths. And what was the Holy Spirit going to do? Teach them truths. 
And what would he do? He counseled them. He comforted them. He encouraged them. And what was the Holy Spirit going to do for them? He's going to do the exact same thing. So Jesus Christ said, how is the Holy Spirit going to teach you and comfort you? He's going to teach you primarily by my word. It is in Christ's word that he opens truth to us. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What Jesus was saying to them is this, that I am not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you with the Spirit. I'm giving you the Spirit. I am going to still be with you in a different way, not physically, but I'm going to be with you spiritually, but the word that I'm giving you, you need to know. Verse 26, he said, the helper with whom the Holy Spirit, the Father, will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. I think that this is specifically talking about the apostles at that moment in time. At that moment in time, the apostles were going to write scripture. They were going to write the gospel message. If I asked you five minutes from now what I said, most of you won't remember. If I asked you the key points of what Pastor Doug preached on last week, most of you probably won't remember. If I asked you what Pastor Tim preached on the week that we had our uh, community Sunday, most of you probably won't remember. Why? Because unless you are constantly studying, it's not going to be there. But what God did amazingly for those disciples was that he filled them with the Holy Spirit and he reminded them of everything that Jesus Christ did and said so that we can have the gospel message today. You're not alone. And that word that God gave us through those apostles is the word that we have today. You've been led by the Spirit. You've been united to Christ. You've been guided by his word. And then you've been established in peace. The reality is most of this world doesn't know peace. Most of this world is feeling afraid and discouraged. And what God says to you and to me is that I want to give you peace. He wants to give you a peace that's not this world's peace. He wants to give you his own peace. He says, I have given you my peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You know, think about it. Um, some of us have received inheritances from people who've passed on. And it may have been gold or silver or some type of possession, but Jesus had none of that. What Jesus could give his people was his peace. His peace was this inner calm in the midst of their anxiety. This peace was the shalom that was talked about constantly in the Old Testament. And this peace was ultimately peace with God and then peace of God. First, we see that it is peace with God. Humanity's got a difficult problem. We've been separated from God. The world will tell us that we are at peace. Peace, peace. We can have peace with the world. We have presidents flying all over the world and people trying to make peace where it won't happen. We should try, but it won't happen, this side of heaven. 
And you will sign peace treaty after peace treaty after peace treaty, but there won't be peace on a human level because if till there is peace on a vertical level, there will be no peace in people's hearts. The greatest problem that humanity has is that we are separated from God. And Romans says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It was trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from the judgment of God that will bring peace to humanity. So it starts with peace with God. But it's not just simply peace with God. Now that will propel into peace of God. That what God wants to do in the most difficult times of your life, he wants to remind you that you are reconciled with him and then he wants to bring you through that dark valley so he can know you and see you. I want you to know that the peace of God is subjective. It comes and goes. It doesn't, it feels strong at some days and it's low other days but the peace with God doesn't ever change. And so when I go through these ups and downs of my life, I need to remind myself that I am at peace with God and that he has established his spirit to give me peace of God. And Jesus wanted to bequeath that to his people. Jesus says, you're going to do greater works than me because you are led by my spirit. You are united to me. You are guided by my word. You are established in peace. You are never alone. It's interesting as you get to the end here at verse 28. Jesus says, I'm going home. Aren't you happy for me? (laughs) You have a close family member pass away. And we grieve. And we're broken hearted over it. And Jesus is telling them that they're leaving. And all they can think about is who? Themselves. And Jesus says, you've heard me say that I'm going away and I will come to you. If you really loved me, guess what? You would have rejoiced. He kind of slapped them a little bit. He says, get out of your self-focus. Get out of your focus on only you Think about me. Think about Jesus. Jesus Christ, who had everything, left everything for you. The Spirit left everything for you. He encased himself in a human body. He lived this sin-cursed life. He lived in this sin-cursed world for you. He died the death for you. And now he wants to go back to glory. And what he's saying to his apostles You should be happy for me. You should be happy for me. He says, and now I've told you this before it takes place so that when it does take place, you will believe. I will not talk to you much longer for the ruler of this world is coming. That's Satan. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that what? That I love the father. So Jesus began this whole section by saying this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He went through this section by saying, I know you feel like you're going to be alone, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to leave you another counselor, another of the same kind, a helper, a teacher. I'm going to leave you my word, and he's actually going to give you even more of my word. He's going to fill you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to strengthen you. And then he's going to remind you of the peace. He's going to remind you that you're at peace with God. And he's going to help you to establish peace of God in your life. 
and you're going to be a funnel to be used for the glory of God. You are never alone. So about you, brothers and sisters, do you ever feel like you're alone? Probably. I would bet you that the times that you're feeling most alone is the times that you're not seeing the beauty of the gospel. Take a pulse every once in a while of your life. Do you see obedience? Do you see a change? Do you look at your life and say, a year ago I would not have done this and I'm different today? It's a sign of life. Do you read the Bible and it's like, wow, I never saw that before. It's a sign of life. Are there times that you speak truths and it's like, I don't even know where that came from. It's a sign of life. Is there a growing desire to represent Christ in this world? It's a sign of life. And if some of those signs are not there in your life, I'd ask you humbly to think, do I really have a relationship with Christ? And if I don't, and if there's a concern, run to his cross. Admit, I fail. I can't do this on my own, Lord. Thank you so much that you've done it for me. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Save me. Make me at peace with your Father. Bring your Holy Spirit into my life and transform me. And if that's you, today could be your day of salvation. For the many of us that are sitting here this morning who do love Christ, how obedient are you living? It's an acid test of your life. How much are you being led by the Holy Spirit? How much are you being guided by his word? How much are you being filled and established in his peace? And how much are you reminding yourself that I'm connected to Christ, that I'm crucified with Christ, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who did what? He loved me, and he gave his life for me. You are never alone. Lord, I pray this morning as we sit here. Father, I can't imagine what it would have been like for the disciples. They just watched one of their own leave and they heard that he was going to betray Christ. They just heard that Peter was going to be um, disciplined in the fact that he was going to deny Christ. They must have been so concerned because they had heard Jesus talk about leaving, but tonight seems different because he is actually talking about leaving tonight. And the fear and the insecurity that must have been in their lives was great. But he poured promise after promise after them. He said, I've, I've modeled my love to you. I've poured my love and manifested it in your life. I'm preparing a place for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not only am I giving you that, I'm giving you the promise of my spirit. I'm connecting you with me. I'm filling you with my word. I'm establishing you in peace. Father, I pray that we would hear those words of comfort. I pray that we would hear those words of encouragement. I pray that we would hear those words of counsel. 
Father, I pray that you would bring glory and honor to your name through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.